Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Psalms and find that 63rd Psalm this morning, if you would. So we talk about the faith and the passion that God allows us to experience and how He hopes that we will multiply that faith and multiply our relationship with Him. Now, next last week, actually, we talked about our goals for the year. Do you remember those? Goals that God has given us, hopefully, as we've defined them, as we have spoken them, that we would multiply. That we would multiply how? Go ahead up in the gathering. I can hear y'all. That we would multiply in an upward way in our relationship with God. That we would multiply in an outward way with our relationship with other individuals, especially unbelievers, and that we would multiply in an inward way among fellow believers, that we would somehow see our relationships as a church continue to grow. That's what I preached, right? Yeah, you better say it a little more. You're about to get round two right here, you know, this morning. That is our prayer. That is what we hope would occur, is that God would multiply us as a church and that He would multiply our relationships We specifically want to see God multiply the relationship that we have with Him. I think that is at the very foundation of every other relationship that we have. In other words, for us to be able to multiply our relationship with unbelievers or multiply our relationship even with fellow believers, we must first consider our relationship with God and how He wants to expand His relationship and how He wants to expand that fellowship with us. Well, if you survey the Psalms, you see this relationship underscored. You see it spoken about time and time again in a very personal, connecting way. Psalm 63, perhaps, gives us the most intimate uh, moment to consider the relationship that we have with God. Certainly, other Psalms will speak to it But no other psalm surpasses 63 in its intensity and passion for that relationship that we can have with God. Listen to the words. Listen to the speaker as he pours out his heart before God. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. What a close, intimate view of God this psalmist had. As he cries out, you, you can hear the intensity. You can hear the personal connection. You can hear the emotion. May I suggest to you that you can hear the passion 
of this individual as he speaks to God. You know, all of us are passionate about something. All of us are passionate about something or someone in our lives. Now, I know you can't always tell that on Sunday morning, okay? Sunday morning, sometimes it looks like we are impassionate people as we kind of just sit and listen and, you know, absorb a little bit of what's going on. But in reality, all of us are passionate about something. We may be passionate about sports, for example. Any of you feel like you can get passionate about a ball game? Anybody? Yeah, I was hoping I would see some truthful people because I've seen some of you at the ball game, by the way. And I know you can. Yes, some, some very passionate moments during like sporting events. It can even happen at home. My, my family, they hate to watch a ball game with me. It, well, all of them except Rhett. Rhett kind of shares my passion for sports in a way. And, and, and you can hear us from about three other rooms. You know what I'm saying? When we're watching them together last week, as we were watching, uh, I think it was one of the college uh, bowls that we were watching, and Rhett began to scream and jump up and down. His mother came in and began to settle him just a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And I said, it's just a ball game. He's got to be able to scream. He's got to be able to shout. He's got to be able... It's a ball game. I'm going to do this, so don't come back. This is the way it is. All of us can get passionate about something. Sports, hunting, fishing, academics, school. Some of us can get passionate about those things. Relationships, vacations, trips. We can get all caught up in the things of this life. All of us can be passionate. So don't tell me this morning that I'm just not a passionate person. All of us have our passions. All of us have those areas of our lives that we devote ourselves to and that we find joy in. When I come to Psalm 63, I hear a man of passion. But I want you to see that his passion, just like our passion, should be fueled by our relationship with God, our relationship with him. Our passion should be fueled by our relationship with him. In other words... My passion, my excitement, my energy, my priority, everything about me somehow should be motivated. It should be fueled by the relationship I have with him. It's not just pure emotion. It's not just going out and, and just enjoying the pleasures of what this life gives. It's not just about that. It is somehow based and founded in my relationship with God, the passion that I should have, and the passion that this individual has. Well, if you notice here at the very beginning of Psalm 63, there is this heading of the psalm. Tradition tells us that this is a psalm of King David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, as it says. So here is David, and we have nothing to dispute that David, David is the author of this psalm. Think of David for a moment. You want to talk about a man of passion. You want to talk about a man of emotion and excitement and relationships. David is your guy. When God seeks him, after there's been the rejection of King Saul, the 
the nation's hero, the nation's king, the nation's military leader, King Saul, the one that is head and shoulders above everybody else in physical stature. When God has rejected him, God comes and he finds a little shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And he anoints him as king. What really is the qualifier of David being the next king? His heart. His passion. Remember, God was looking for a man after his own heart. David, at this point in his life, as a little shepherd boy, had not had accomplishments necessarily. He, he didn't have those achievements. He could put on his resume and say, look how kingly I am. Look how kingly I look. Look how kingly I conduct myself. David had not had those moments. The sole qualifier of David to be king was his love, his passion for God. The name David itself means like beloved. When I was in high school, hearing my high school Bible teacher talk about David and talk about his name in particular, he said that it, it could mean something like to boil over with love for God. You ever seen something boil before? You ever seen something boil over? Unfortunately, you add that heat intensity and you come back and something is boiling over. Well, you try to get something to stop it, maybe put the top back on. It, it doesn't matter. It just kind of keeps, keeps coming. Think of that imagery as you think of David and his heart and his relationship with God and his love for God. Somehow there was something in David that it just, that love just boiled over. The love that he had for God. You could not keep it in. You could not try to bottle it up. It somehow just made itself out of David and his existence. And then you can read so many of these psalms. So many of these psalms that reflect David's name, David's identity. I said to you last week that the Psalms are probably the most personal, intimate collection that we have in our Bible because they're basic testimonies. You just have individuals that God is moved by His Holy Spirit speaking in a personal way, speaking to God or about God just in these testimonials. That's the reason I think so many of us connect with those Psalms and love them because they're so personal. And David authored so many of those demonstrating how he just boiled over with love for God. So here's David. And in the very beginning of this psalm, he speaks about how that passion is fueled by the relationship he has. He says, oh God, you are my God. You are my God. That personal intimate connection. David could say this. He says it throughout the Psalms. He says it in his life. He recognizes that somehow God has established this relationship and that this God he serves is a personal God. He says, you are my God. That word my transforms, transforms so much, doesn't it? Transforms so much. I mean, it, it means so much to us when we can use the word my when you say, this is my son or my daughter, 
That's a little different in saying, hey, there's over there, there's a daughter or there's a son or that's their son or that's their daughter. It makes a lot of difference when you say, this is my son or my daughter, doesn't it? Okay, let's put it in terms you all understand. You say, this is my grandson. (laughs) This is my granddaughter. Makes a whole lot of difference when you use the word my. It transforms the whole experience. And he says, God, you are my God. I have a personal relationship with you. And if we find the context of David here, if we say that he is in the wilderness of Judea, in this maybe dark time of his life, he could have been when he was fleeing from Saul, but most probably, most probably, he is in the wilderness on the run from his own son, Absalom. His own son, Absalom, has tried to take the throne from him. He has rebelled. And because of that, David is on the run. So David is disconnected from all other relationships. And yet he is able to come back and he said, God, you're my God, even during these moments, even during these times. And if we find the context of David later in his life, it means that he's been walking with God for quite a while. In other words, this relationship just didn't begin. He had known God, he had experienced him, he had experienced the highs of that relationship, and he had experienced the lows of the relationship. He had experienced those moments of intimacy, he had experienced those moments where by his own choice, he had removed himself from the very healing presence of God. So all these years have gone by, and David cries out and he says, God, you are my God. The passion that he has is fueled by the relationship that he has with God and the relationship that he has had all of these years. You know what I have found is that so many of us can try to manufacture passion in our lives, at least a passion for God. We can try to manufacture it. We can try to... We can try to give ourselves these motivational speeches, these good pep talks. But all of those things fail if we have not recognized the deep, intimate relationship that we have with God. If it doesn't grow out of our natural relationship, then it's never going to succeed in our lives. In other words, the only way we can be passionate is to have that constant, continuous relationship with God. It's what motivates it and speaks to us and drives us in our lives. Well, notice that this passion is not only fueled by our relationship with God. I believe that our passion is, I think it is focused by our relationship with God. It's focused just a little bit. Passion, focusing it. Notice what he says. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He says, early will I seek you. Later on, in verse 6, he'll say, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. So get this. The passion of David, the passion of David for God. It is focused. 
It is focused upon him, the time, the energies that David, that he has. They are all focused on that relationship with God. So when I get up in the morning, what am I thinking about? Thinking about that relationship with God. When I lie down at night, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about my relationship with God. And notice this. David is very intentional. He is very purposeful in that relationship. He says, I will seek you. I will set my mind upon you and upon your heart and upon your life. In other words, he is making a conscious decision to say, I am going to focus on this relationship that I have with you. You are my God, and because of that, I am going to focus my passions upon you. Every, every relationship, every relationship needs intentionality. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, it needs intentionality. It needs purpose. It needs nurture in our lives. Those of you who are married today, doesn't that relationship require you to be intentional and purposeful in who you are and how you relate to your spouse? Uh, let, let's just, no, it's just going to happen. I'm just going to let it happen. The relationship, you know, it's just there. We just, just let it happen. Let me just say to you, if you just let it happen, it will happen. All right? You think you're just going to allow it just to go on and, you know, everything. You, no, no kind of real purpose, no intentionality in your life. It's just, yeah, it's going to be fine. The relationship's fine. Hmm? You're going to find out in a very difficult way that every relationship requires intentionality. That you have to try to nurture that relationship. That you have to try to advance that relationship. The same as with God. Think of this a moment. You come and accept Christ Jesus as your Savior. You say, I want that personal relationship. I want to follow Him. You do that. It's wonderful. Then you leave from this place. And you feel that passion. You feel it for maybe the next few days. Maybe next few weeks. You try to join some different study groups. You try to get involved in some fellowships. You try to do those things. But let me say, if you're not intentional in your relationship with God, if you just allow things to just kind of happen, before you know it, you've kind of actually moved a little bit away. You've drifted. Because, get this, there are so many other things that will vie for your attention. There's so many other things that will vie for your attention. We live in a busy culture. I thought I'd hear an amen somewhere. We live in a busy culture. We have all kinds of things coming against us or bars. And not always bad things. There's some great things. Activities and calendar events and all those that will be coming, whether it's the church or whether it's the family or whether it's the school or 
some great things. But if you are not intentional in your relationship with God, if you don't say to yourself as you move along, I will seek you in the morning, I will seek you in the evening, God, I'm going to put you in that priority place of my life, and I'm going to be intentional and purposeful in our relationship, before you know it, you've allowed God's relationship to kind of move to the back burner as you attend to so many other things in your life. Notice the way David says, I want to seek you with a totality of my being. Look at the words again. My soul. My flesh. Later on, he'll use the word soul again. In, in, in verse 8, he'll say, my soul follows close behind you. He uses these words to say, everything about me, all that I am, God, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to enjoy this relationship that I have with you. Everything that I have, my soul, my heart, my life, That is a challenge to continue to keep that passion as you move through your Christian walk. It's a challenge for all of us. Because so often, we do get burdened down by the things outside of our church existence or our family existence. We get all kinds of things bombarding us. And we forget about this relationship of seeking Him with the totality of our being, of Everything that we are. Verse 8, when he had said, my soul, my soul follows close behind you. It's a great word, this idea of my soul follows or clings or commits. It, it's the same word that's used of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, on Wednesday nights just recently, we studied through the book of Ruth. Oh, by the way, if you don't come on Wednesday night, you ought to come. It's great stuff. Not just because you got a good preacher. I'm just saying it's great stuff to sit around the tables and to visit and to fellowship and to just feast upon God's Word. It's really good. But we, Ruth, we did that study, Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. There, Ruth looks at Naomi. Remember her mother-in-law? And Naomi has said, why don't you, you girls just go back? You, you just go back to... Moab and don't worry about me don't worry about the th you, you just need to go and try to provide for yourself and it says that Ruth will not return and what she does she actually clings unto Naomi the idea is there is a commitment that she has made to Naomi Naomi no matter where you go no matter what you do no matter what occurs in life, I am going with you. And remember those Ruthine vows. So often we take some of those vows that she makes to Naomi and we insert them in a marriage ceremony to speak about commitment and relationship. She says, I'm going with you. I'm, I'm going to follow you. Same word now that David looks at God and he says, my soul is going to cling to you. I am following after you. 
It is that completeness of a commitment and a heart and a longing. I again say it is a challenge for those of us, especially who've been Christians for some time. For some time. I'd be one of the first ones to admit it. I think to myself now that I've been saved in these years longer than those years that I wasn't saved. Some of you in a very similar situation. I was saved at the age of 12. I remember the burning conviction of God upon my life that Sunday night as God spoke to me and helped me to see that I had fallen short of the glory of God and that I needed to be saved and I needed a relationship with Him. I remember it. I remember going home and not being able to sleep that night and the subsequent nights. I remember going to my mom and saying, Mom, I've, I've, got, I've got to talk to Brother Bobby Mama, I need to be saved. I remember talking to her about that. I remember sitting in Brother Bob's office and I remember praying to ask God to come in my heart and save me. And there was a transformation. I remember being baptized. I remember being on fire for God. Let me tell you, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God would give me opportunities. It would be in maybe Bible school, okay? Vacation Bible school. They would let a 13-year-old lead the music for Bible school. And there was a passion. There was a heart. I remember when I launched out into leading music and, and, and youth at Blue Springs Baptist Church. And here I was just a teenager. I remember these moments where God was speaking in such powerful ways in my life. And I could sense that, that desire and that passion to seek Him and to follow Him with everything that I had. But if we're not careful, just as it has in my life from time to time, those moments of passion and commitment can be overshadowed by so many other things in life. But this is awesome. This is awesome. To know that our God so loves us and that our God so, is so intentional from His side so intentional for the relationship that he has with you and me that he pursues us even when we've allowed the passion to slip, to fade. He still pursues us. And he can renew that passion and he can renew that commitment and he can renew that energy. And thanks be to God for those moments. Thanks be to God when he does those kinds of things to bring us back into that hot passionate relationship that he so wants to experience with us. Here's David after years of his life, after failures, after all the issues, after seeing his son himself rebel against him, and he's able to come back and say, God, you know what? I'm going to allow my passion to be focused right now by the relationship that I have with you. And still in these moments, I pray that everything that I have will seek you. My flesh will desire you. My soul 
Notice he says, where there's no water. Where there's no water. Yet there is this thirst that I have. Remember, he's out in the Judean wilderness looking around. Ever been in that part of the world? You'll see it's rather desolate. You, you can think about thirst very quickly. And he says, it's kind of like being out here and, and just thirsting for water. He says, that's the way my heart is for you. And my life is for you. You, you ever been thirsty before? Certainly you have. You've been thirsty? And you just wanted something. To, you just had this hunger, this, this desire. He says, that's the way it is in our hearts and lives for you. few years ago, Brother BK, you may have heard preachers talk about this experience. I think it was a preacher from many, many years ago decided that he would uh, baptize this individual. And when he baptized him, he decided he would hold him down a little bit extra. Now, I don't do that, so don't get very fearful, all right? There have been moments where I thought I should hold some people down a little extra, but I didn't do that. preacher brought this guy down and he was holding him. The guy that was being baptized, he, he, he began thinking, is he going to bring me up? He's supposed to bring me up. You know, he's, he's, what's he doing? So this went on for just a, a few more seconds and, and the guy that was being baptized realized, I don't think he's going to bring me up. It's time for me to get up. This guy's gone mad. And he fought himself up out of the water. And he got up, and of course he looked at the preacher and he said, What are you doing? I couldn't breathe. I couldn't... What are you doing? And the preacher said to him, You know, we preachers always have lessons, right? And sermons. He said, You know the way that when you were underwater that all you could think about was air and breathing needing to experience that and the way you just I mean that was your one thought that's what you needed he said for your Christian life understand for your Christian life that is the desire that God wants you to have for him that the only thing you can certainly think about is enjoying him and seeking Him. That it's like the breath of your life. It's part of your existence. It's part of who you are. And there's nothing that can separate you. Because if it separates you, you have no more life. I think that's what David is trying to describe here. David's trying to say, God, you're it. You're it. You're what I need. You're what I seek in life because, get this, our passion is fulfilled by our relationship with Him. Our passion is fulfilled. It's satisfied. Okay, so I love these verses when you read through. Notice what he says. Uh, David has said, hey, I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. In other words, during those corporate moments of worship, I have seen how you have spoken and how you have worked and I've looked for those because God, 
your loving kindness, the way you relate to me, it's better than anything else that I've ever experienced. It's better than life itself. And because of that, I will praise you. Verse 5, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. He says, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. See, Leslie, they eat fat in the Bible. See what it says right there? And those are good things. That's what it says. Love that. He says that you will be satisfied with marrow and fatness. I, I kid oftentimes, one of the favorite parts of a steak or piece of meat that I have is the fat. Okay? I hate to admit that to you, but I just love it. Sometimes the kids will just give me theirs. Okay? It's just like, hey, Dad, you want this? Go ahead. Indulge yourself. You know, it's nasty, but go ahead and you eat it, whatever you want to. And I tell them, if you look at Leviticus chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, that was the best stuff. The fat was. That's the reason God got it. Don't, I mean, read it. Leviticus chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And, and now God's made all things right, right? And we can eat all things. And, and one day, I tell Leslie, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. I know my verse is on fat, by the way. Isaiah 25, verse 6. It says that one of these days, when we're all together in heaven, that we're going to eat of the fat of the steaks. It's going to be awesome. I tell Leslie, I said, hey, we're going to eat it in heaven one day. Why can't we eat it now? She said, because you're going to have a glorified body one day that can take care of that fat, not the body you got now. You can't handle it now. But notice he says, he says, my soul will be satisfied, fulfilled with that relationship. It will be fulfilled in you. That's what he says. That you will enjoy me. Later on he says, even in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. The shadow of the wings again, that same terminology of God just like this mother bird coming over and providing protection and provision and blessing. He says, it is there that I'm going to enjoy you even through these difficult moments. Even though my son has set himself against me. Even though my kingship is in question, I will find my fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in you. My friends, we as believers, we must be reminded that we find our joy and we find our fulfillment and we find our satisfaction only in God. I take you back to John's gospel where so many had followed him because of the miracles that he had done. He had provided this great miracle in particular where he had given them the bread and the fish. You remember. The next day Jesus is taken off and yet the crowds come to find him. And Jesus says something very remarkable to them. He says to them, Why have you come to seek me? And then he basically answers his own question. He says, You have come not because of who I am. Not because of your recognition of my kingship. You come so that you can be fed. So that you can eat my bread. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I don't want you to be satisfied with just the things I give you. I don't want you to follow me just so that I can give you things and, and, and bless you. Now, no, don't get me wrong. God is the ultimate Father who blesses us. Jesus said, I don't want you to come to me for that reason. I want you to come to me so that you can enjoy the relation. I want you to come to me because you can enjoy me. 
I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven. Feast on me. I think too often we forget about this aspect. And too often we settle for less than satisfaction and fulfillment in God. Too often we see it as a drudgery of service. Too often we see our lives, lives of abandonment and lives where we forsake all things that are good and thus there is no joy in our life. That is not what God intended. C.S. Lewis. You got to close a sermon with C.S. Lewis. You know it's going to be a great sermon, right? C.S. Lewis wrote in 1968 as he was introducing a message. And this is what he said about the way we look at our joy and fulfillment. He said, if you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you ask almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. A negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in the most modern minds the notion that to, des to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday on the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I agree that today so many times we are trying to find our satisfaction and fulfillment and enjoyment in so many temporal things and so many things that are here, our ultimate joy, that we have failed to experience the tremendous joy and fulfillment and satisfaction that comes in knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus saved you he certainly did. But he did not save you to return to the other relationships, the worldly relationships, so that you could try to find joy there. He saved you so that you could find joy in him. And that that relationship would continue. And that daily, daily, daily you would be satisfied and fulfilled. And that love. In that relationship. Today, I pray that our passions, whatever they be,
hopefully our passion for God himself would be fulfilled through that relationship that we have in him. God wants to multiply our relationship to him, that upward relationship. He wants us to experience passion in that relationship. But he wants it. He wants that passion to be informed. He wants it to be fueled and motivated by that love that we have for Christ Jesus. He wants us to focus that passion on intentionality in our time and our efforts and our complete being. And he wants us to find that joy and satisfaction that can only come through a loving relationship with a personal God that we serve that can only come through Jesus Christ. Today, would you pray that God would multiply your passion? Would you recommit today for some of you who just need God to just renew you? Would you do that? For those of you who've never been saved, listen, let me tell you, God's still in the saving business. And here in this place today, you can come and commit your life to Him and follow Him, and He will save you from your sins. I promise you that, because that's what the Scripture says. Would you hear God's Word to you? And would you commit your passion to Him? Let's pray. Father, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you. And yes, we echo the words... Better is your loving kindness to us than life itself. God, impress that upon us now in this place. Father, help us respond. Help us to catch upon, catch you again, Lord. Just cling to you. Allow our soul and our hearts to thirst and hunger for you. In Jesus' name.